RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. You'd be thinking, Discovery's wrap for the season. Yeah, sure, but it's still Tuesday night. What about my Mission Log live fix? Well, here we are. Sitting where I am, doing what I do, I'm Ken Ray, and over there, uh, way far away from here, uh, you can call him Ray, or you can call him Jay, but he would really prefer that you call him, I'm sorry, he would really prefer that you call him John Champion. Thank you for clarifying that, Ken. You know what we like to do every week? We like to talk about Star Trek. You know who we like to talk to? You. Now, it's true, we've been talking about Discovery for the last several weeks while it was new, and tonight, you get to help us wrap up the whole season. This is the last Discovery-specific talk that we'll do for a while. If you'd like to join us now, well, we would love that. You can do that by clicking on the Zoom meeting link from your PC or Mac. Uh, that link is right there above and below this video. You can also call us at 646-558-8656 and type in the meeting code that you'll find above and below. You can also use that one tap from your smartphone and be connected right away. Remember, those numbers change from week to week. And, and by the way, people are already chiming in. Meredith saying, hey, everyone. And uh, Patrick, thank you for saying Mission Log is the best Star Trek show on Facebook. Can't wait. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so tonight we're going to look back at season one of Star Trek Discovery. The last 14 episodes of this show have covered the 15 episodes of Discovery, uh, episode by episode by episode. So what we're going to do now is going to take a little bit of a breather, uh, be sort of more reflective about the whole uh, season as a whole, as we say. And then uh, Mission Log Live is going to take one week off. And then we're going to come back and talk about all kinds of Star Trek stuff. So we do invite you to... Uh, I don't know, you know, enjoy next Tuesday and then enjoy the other Tuesdays with us. I'm sorry. It's not a mutually exclusive thing. Please enjoy all of your Tuesdays, uh, all of them, but the next one with us. <laughs> now, before we do the show each week, we post a question for you to mull over. Last week, we asked you, did you enjoy your time on Kronos? And uh, 72% of you said yes. And only 28% of you said no. We left that open to interpretation. Could it could have meant really whatever you wanted it to mean. But did you enjoy your time on Kronos? The majority said yes. You enjoyed your time on Kronos. So glad to hear that. This week, we have a new question. Would you like to chime us? Uh, let us know, Ken, what that question was and uh, how our listeners have chimed in. Uh, the question that we're asking, season one of Discovery, was it good for you? So far, everybody says yes, or almost everybody says yes, which this is not a scientific poll. Certainly, I'm not saying it should be bad for more people. I'm just saying, you know, you're here. You're talking about discovery every week. But right now, the way it stands, 83 percent of people say yes, it was good for them. 17 uh, percent of people say no. And we'll likely get into a lot more questions around that, including why it may or may not have been as far as you're concerned um, later this hour. All right. If you are a returning visitor, we sure are glad to have you here with us again. If you're new to Mission Log Live, welcome for joining us right here at the end of our discovery discussion. And just a quick note again about how all of this works. You tune in live every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And if you'd like to be the part of the show, well, you can do that on Facebook, chat, or by calling in. It's all happening at facebook.com slash missionlogpod or over at youtube.com slash roddenberryprod. 
Now, let's say you're busy on Tuesday night while we're actually live. Well, that's your prerogative. Let's say you need Mission Log to meet you halfway. We can do that too. Come back and pick up the video whenever you like here on the Facebook page, or you can also get the handy, portable, easily digestible audio-only version just by going to podcast.roddenberry.com or by searching for Mission Log Live wherever fine podcasts are found. Now, the feed is updated usually just a few hours after the live show ends. And if you're watching us right now on Facebook, thank you. Please hit like, please hit share. Sharing is caring. Now, before we get to your calls and some of our thoughts on, uh, oh, I meant to do a joke. I was going to say John's going to recap the entire season in a moment. <laughs> Don't worry. John's <laughs> not going to recap the entire season in a moment. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to remind you about the shop that we have. Uh, the shop that we have, of course, um, is now much easier to find than it was originally. It's missionlogpodcast.com and then click, click on the link for shop. And that'll take you right to our new Tee Public store. Uh, where we have a lot of really cool stuff like uh, like this. This is my Kindle. That is a sticker from the uh, Mission Log store, I guess, or the shop that we have. Uh, Encounter Farpoint Station, won't you? I've also got the, uh, the Ditalics Mining Corporation uh, journal that I've told you about before. I got to tell you about a really cool thing that happened, and it starts off being not so cool. We've got uh, all kinds of T-shirts and other designs there. And I actually ordered one of our T-shirts that I was hoping to wear for you at some point. And um, unfortunately, there was a problem with the T-shirt. Not with the shirt itself, though. The quality of the shirt was fantastic. Uh, the problem was we actually chose a color that was a little too dark for some of the blacks on the shirt, right? So Public did not do anything wrong. But I got in touch with Public and said, hey, this actually isn't really readable. And they said, cool, send it back and we'll exchange it for you. So I'm really excited not only about the quality of the stuff that they have, but also their level of, uh, of customer service. So tons of stuff that you can check out. Our men, Carl, just cranking out a ton of stuff. John, uh, what are some of your favorite designs that Carl has cranked out? Well, you know, the good news is Carl is constantly cranking out good designs and we'll be adding more in the coming weeks and months. But right now you got your classics. You got the bonk bonk on the head since 1966, quoting the oft used phrase on Mission Log. You see, Timmy, because sometimes an episode ends with a you see, Timmy moment. We have the tribute to Nova Squadron, that 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 sad accident at Nova Squadron, but we memorialize them on kind of a like an 80s rock band looking graphic on a t-shirt. So you can honor Nova Squadron that way. Ken, you showed us your Ditalics Mining Corporation. We also have some old, old original favorites like Cool as Kirk and my all-time favorite Ethos Pathos Logos as Kirk, Spock, and McCoy on the transporter pad. So all kinds of stuff that you can check out, as I say. I mean, you just saw I've got the sticker. I've got the journal. There are wall hangings. There are all kinds of things. We would love it if you went to missionlogpodcast.com, uh, slip on the uh, click, rather, excuse me, on the shop link and check out all the stuff there. You're going to find designs there that you're not going to find anywhere else. And then when you show up at, you know, STLV or your local Star Trek convention and everybody's wearing the same shirt and you're standing there with something nobody else has got, well, that's just going to make you kind of cooler, isn't it? <laughs> Missionlogpodcast.com. And then click on shop. And, and a special thanks to everybody, too, who's already, uh, who's already hit that shop up because uh, got some pretty cool stuff there. I can and now is, is recap the whole season. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Really? See, I was about to say that that was a joke. Uh, yeah. Guess what? It's still a joke. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to recap the whole season, Ken. You know why? Because uh, that would make Because I'm going to do it. 
No, that would make for a very John Heavy show. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> John Heavy is still my favorite old English rapper. Yeah, little joke yeah. there for you. Yeah, yeah. it'd be too yeah. John Heavy. But um, what we do get to do today is we get to open up to calls kind of right away. So instead of uh, doing a recap, we presume you've all watched Discovery. You've all wrapped up the season with us. And uh, we're going to kick things off, actually, with some pre-recorded calls. We got, uh, we got a, a message here from Kenneth, so we can go ahead and roll that and see what Kenneth has to say. Hey, John and Ken, long-time listener here. Uh, just, uh, I love the show, just calling in because I had a few things I wanted to say about Disco. But first, uh, I just wanted to say something to Ken. You are the best host of Mission Log. You are the funny one. You are the cool one. And I'm totally not saying this just because I'm about to disagree with you on a few things. That said, I disagree with you on a few things. Um, mainly about the projected audience of Disco. I feel that in this age and especially as an adult now myself, that it's completely fine for Disco to seek out an adult audience. We have plenty of Trek for families and kids. It's called TOS, TAS, and TNG. Um, you can get them anywhere through streaming. They're still on TV frequently in places like TV Land or the BBC, which is where I watched it when I was younger. And I just don't feel like... It needs to be Trek's responsibility to be marketed towards children. But I, seriously, so I, I, Kenneth, you, you don't even you don't even know me, and you think you can just butter up Ken with a disagreement by by saying that I, I you know what, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm a little upset, and uh, because of that, uh, Ken, just just go ahead and answer his question. Well, there are two things I'll say really quickly. First of all, we do have the name in common. And and while I don't like other people named Ken, yeah. <laughs> Kenneth, uh, Kenneth apparently has no problem with them. And so that's really cool. Mm. Uh, the other thing is he did butter me up, as you say, to take me down. Um, uh, first of all, thank you very much, Kenneth, for, for, for uh, sending in your question. I know we have another part of your question coming up in a bit. So questions, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, in a serious answer to your question, though, I don't think it's Trek's responsibility to be marketed towards children. Uh, far from it. I mean, TOS was not for kids. Um, and I think if parents had had any idea what was being said on the animated series, they might not have let their kids watch it. I mean, like when the devil comes out and says, who knows whether there's a devil or not. I mean, I think a lot of people probably would have freaked if they had known that that's what their kids were watching while they were sleeping. The thing is, though, it was never a space that wasn't safe to take your kids to either. And that's the part that I'm having a little bit of a problem with. I, I feel like Discovery is a place where it's not necessarily take your, uh, safe to take your children. Um, additionally, I'm trying to figure out which part of Discovery is inspiring. I know somebody personally who works at NASA. And the reason she works at NASA, the reason she works in Mission Control, she can draw a direct line from her love of Star Trek as a teenager to her job now at Mission Control. And I don't know whether there was any part of discovery that's going to have that same impact. Now, maybe a decade from now, two decades from now, somebody will come across somebody at some convention who will say, I'm totally into whatever. I'm totally into science and navigation. I study tardigrades because of something I saw in discovery. That's a possibility. But it doesn't feel like it was, it was sort of engendering the same kind of... I don't want to say happy future, but enlightened future or better future. 
that we tended to sort of look to Star Trek for. So that's that's my two cents. And again, thank you very much, sir, for for calling in. John? Yeah, I, I don't totally disagree with you. I mean, I, I've met those same people and and had some wonderful conversations with you know, families who are watching Star Trek together and people who watch Star Trek when they were younger and, and then that that sparked something in them that they got to do something cool later in their life. Whether it's working for NASA or becoming a teacher or a doctor, we, we hear that a lot. Um, and that's kind of amazing. Now, when we first talked about this topic on our show, uh, just the the fact that Tilly dropped an F-bomb and, and you and I, we were watching that episode together and we were both kind of shocked by that and, and had, um, had strong feelings about that. Then yeah. we started to hear from a lot of people who said, well, look, it's not that big of a deal to me. And that's the way people talk and blah, blah. And yeah, I, I, I get it. And it's not the end of the world. And believe me, Ken and I off air will drop an F-bomb and everything else that you have ever heard like anybody else. Um, I, I do think that there's room for all kinds of Star Trek. So you've got You've got Trek that is more family and kid friendly. And right now, this little slice of Star Trek, the 15 hours that we've got a discovery so far, is a slice of Star Trek that isn't appropriate for everybody, mm-hmm. which is a big change of pace for Star Trek. Because even if it wasn't necessarily aimed at kids all along, it was something that was relatively safe to show kids all along, even though... Right. Given a, an episode like Magic's Omegas 2, maybe, maybe, maybe the subject matter wasn't, uh, wouldn't jibe with everybody. Um, so I, I really do get that argument. Um, and and I, believe me, I want Star Trek to have as wide an audience as it can because I think Star Trek is cool. And I think when Star Trek is at its best, it's got something to say um, mm-hmm. and, and generally a pretty positive message in what it has to say. Um, but I... I there's a part of me that's okay with right now, this version of Star Trek, this one Star Trek being something that is for a different audience that is exploring this different tone, this different style. I'm all right with that right now. Maybe a Star Trek is like that forever and ever from this point forward, I'll have a much bigger problem with it. Maybe if I felt like the rest of Star Trek was harder to get to, then I would have a bigger problem with it. Um, but I'm, you know, every time we have this conversation, we get arguments from both sides. And I have to say that this is one of those cases where I feel like both sides of the argument are pretty valid. They, they, they've both got something to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about my only concern, and maybe this is, well, my concern gets augmented when you start talking about the fact that the next movie may be R-rated and it may come from Tarantino. Now, Quentin Tarantino has actually run some trouble in Hollywood over the past few months, couple of months, as we record this. And so maybe that's not going to happen. But suddenly what you've got then is, okay, well, the TV track is going darker and TVMA, but it's okay because we have the movies. Oh, except that's going to be rated R and probably have more blood than your local blood bank if it's any kind of Tarantino movie. So, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, I am not a prude. I like a lot of adult themed adult oriented or not, or maybe it's better to say not appropriate for children content. I'm fine with that. Huge fan of game of Thrones, huge fan of game of Thrones, actually. 
the TV series because I'm a Johnny come lately and I don't have that much time to read. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it, it, it's not that I don't, it's not that I don't like cursing. It's not that I don't like violence. It's not that I don't like, you know, more mature themes, as I say, it's just, it's just, I worry about the direction that's taking the whole, uh, the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I get it, man. I, I really do. And, uh, you know, at one point I thought that Tilly dropping the F-bomb was horrible. Then I heard from other people who kind of put that into context. And sure, we, we can separate out that one moment and we can decide, like, oh, this is okay, this isn't okay. But we're also talking about the overall tone, the overall feel of the show. There was a lot of gore early on. You know, um, when they landed on the Glen and we saw people absolutely ripped apart, that was something you would never have seen on Star Trek before that moment. Um, right. And and there may be audience. You may not agree with them. This may not be the way that your household is, but there may be audiences that, for that reason alone, they just say, "Nope, we're turning it off. We're not going to watch this." Um, and, and that's their prerogative. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't make me like the show less. But I don't like the idea that there is now some part of the audience, the potential audience for Star Trek, that simply won't be there, fairly yeah. or unfairly. Hey, we've actually got a um, – do we want to do part two of that other call, or do we want to go to our live caller? Let's go ahead and hear from Kenneth. He, he's got a part two, and then, uh, then, then we've got Dave uh, patiently standing by. Oh, P.S. I do have one thing I want to ask. I'm certain you're getting asked – Left and right, uh, all over the place, because you haven't commented on it yet. You may even have agreed not to comment on it at some point that I'm not aware of. What do you think of the new Klingons? I don't like them. I think they're rubber-faced and silly-looking. Then again, I could say that of the... A lot of people could say that of the old Klingons. I actually had a friend who gave Odo that criticism in Season 1 of DS9... But really, they just don't fit for me. They look like, honestly to me, something out of Stargate SG-1. They look like the Gould mixed with the Wraith from that series as well. Uh, I just really wanted to know how, what you guys thought of uh, the Klingons. Um, once again, have a nice night. Uh, live long and prosper. Kenneth, ladies and gentlemen, it's Kenneth. <laughs> Um, let's see, as far as, uh, multiple houses of Klingons, eh, I mean, I remember being sort of, uh, it was, it was jarring at first for me because it's like all the Klingons have always all looked alike and then to find out, okay, well, no, they don't. I really thought that was going to end up being a plot point somewhere during the first season and it wasn't. I still wonder if we're ever going to address it or maybe we won't. Um, I know it does not offend me nearly as well. It never offended me. Um, but it, it, it stopped worrying me or puzzling me or anything somewhere along the way. Um, not unlike John got uh, desensitized to the F word. I got desensitized <laughs> to, you know, 24 different houses of Klingons. For me, that's just 24 action figures. Collect them all. John? Yeah, I, you know, this seems to be one of the first things that Star Trek fans got really worked up about. And um, a, a friend of mine said, uh, is it really the look of the Klingons that is the thing that you watch Star Trek for? Like, is that really what it's all about? Because if it is, go back and watch the ones where the, the look of the Klingons is the most important thing. And my attitude was always, um, well, look, you, you, if we're talking about the change in the look of the Klingons, what, what change are we talking about? Are we talking about 
TOS Klingons? Were you talking about motion picture Klingons? Because I do remember, I was very young, but I remember certain fans being just apoplectic about the change and the Klingons going into motion picture. And then they changed again when you had weird-looking Worf in early TNG. Then you had better-looking Worf uh, as he went along. And you know, other Klingons, and he had General Chang in there, who just looked like something completely different. Um, but uh, please don't forget the pink tunic Klingons from the animated series. That was a whole other thing, too. Um, so, look, the, the fact of the matter is uh, characters will change. Designs will change. I'm perfectly good with that. And even when they address the change in the Klingons, as they did on Enterprise, so that was fun. But honestly, it was unnecessary. I, I didn't need to know. It didn't affect my enjoyment of Star Trek any because I had this long-winded technobabble reason that the Klingons looked different in one place than they did in another. Starting out Discovery saying that there are 24 houses of Klingon makes me think, oh, okay, so they look different in different houses. Some look more different than others. And now we've seen a Klingon get surgically altered to look human, not unlike Arnie Darwin in um, The Trouble with the Tribbles. And the other thing that I thought was kind of cool, a lot of people got really worked up about the Klingon language. Um, I, the more I heard it in Discovery, the more I liked it, but the more particularly I liked hearing uh, Laurel and Vok or Ash Tyler speak it. it. It had their very distinct sound to speaking that language. And it was different from, say, um, it, you know, Christopher Plummer doing Chang speaking Klingon um, or, or Christopher Lloyd speaking Klingon, sounding like Doc Brown speaking Klingon. It, it was okay. It, it was something cool and, and unique to them. And I, I thought that hearing Vok and Laurel, they had a, sort of a unique accent and, and a... And a I, I know there was an emotion to it that was different from other Klingons just sort of yelling it at you. It, it felt like it was a little bit deeper there. So I really dug it. Um, look, stylistic changes are purely subjective. There are little nitpicks about the style in um, in Discovery that will drive me crazy. I love the phaser. I love, love, love the phaser. I hate the Starfleet emblem on the top of the phaser. That will drive me <laughs> Nuts, no matter what. Um, it's better, but, though, that honestly, it's better that the emblem is on top of the phaser because otherwise you have to fire it and see whether it fires red or blue. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that can be dangerous. So really, I think it's probably good that they have the branding everywhere. What's funny so. to me is this is a debate that's going to rage and rage and rage. And you wouldn't think this would be a raging debate. But while you were talking, John... Uh, Brett in the chat room said that he absolutely agrees with Kenneth that it makes all the rest of Star Trek harder to believe. And then one, two, three, I believe four responses down. Anastasia said, or Anastasia, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it, but she said she likes the new Klingons. Actually, they look very alien instead of like humans with stuff on their heads. So, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, this will this will go on and on, at least I would imagine into season two, assuming that we actually see Klingons in season two. Hey, I, I feel terrible that our friend Benjamin, he, he's having an internet meltdown. I, I see you, Benjamin. I'm sorry. Uh, in the meantime, so join us if you can. And everybody who's listening right now, you can click on the Zoom meeting link to join us. You can call us at 646-558-8656 and type in the meeting code if you want to join us. But we do have another caller waiting right now, and that would be Dave. So, Dave. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up tonight, man? Hey, how's it going? 
Good, good, good. I love that 2001 poster back there competing oh, for a room with Spock. That's nice. I, I had that 2001 poster uh, mounted on um, like foam core or something as well, which it looks like you do too. So yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, awesome movie. So yeah, so thanks for the discussion tonight. Um, I'm a father myself. I have a 10 year old, six year old, uh, both boys, and um, you know, I I think I fall more on on your side of it, Ken, um, where. Uh, you know, the, the accessibility of a show that, that I can watch and just kind of share that spirit that I had as, as a kid watching it, um, you know, is, is something unique about Star Trek up until this point. That being said, what you see on Discovery is super tame compared to 90% of what's out there on TV today, right? I haven't mm-hmm. let my kids watch it yet, but uh, maybe in a few years, we'll see how things kind of go in the series. Um but, you know, it, it, reflecting on the show and just kind of thinking, um, oftentimes you guys will talk about like, okay, so it's a great show, it's a great episode, a great movie, but is it great Star Trek? And I've been reflecting on whether or not this first season here of Discovery is great Star Trek. And, uh, you know, when, when, you, when, you look at, when you look at all these different versions of Star Trek, we all know that every Star Trek reflects its time, you know, that, that it's in. Um, and, you know... Um, this is an American TV show made by Americans, mainly for an American audience. So I think the Federation explicitly or implicitly is basically a stand in for the United States. You know, it, it, it kind of reflects how we think we should be in the future. It could be in the future. So I wasn't around in the 1960s, but it seems like the, you know, the, the ideal of the show is this is what we, you know, who we're supposed to identify with the Federation is who we're supposed to identify with will be in the future. Uh, TNG, it was, you know, the Federation was the great hope, right? It was the force of good in the galaxy. Uh, Deep Space Nine, we saw a shift towards the Federation being more of a peacekeeper, which was kind of what the U.S. was playing in the, the role the U.S. was playing in the 90s. You know, sometimes we got it right, sometimes we got it wrong, but we're a peacekeeper. So um, if you really kind of take that to its, to, to its conclusion and look at Discovery and say, what, are, what is Discovery trying to say about us now? Uh, and I think it's an awfully dark uh, statement um, because we don't, we, don't know that nece- we don't know that the Federation necessarily are the good guys that have their hearts in the right place. Um, or it could be that this is just a different era of storytelling and those ideals that we're supposed to identify with um, are really held by the crew um, and the individual. We're supposed to look at how the individuals stand up and hold to their ideals as individuals versus earlier Star Trek is about how the individuals live out their ideals within this larger organization or this larger, like, you know, uh, something bigger than themselves. So um, it's a, it's a great show. Is it great Star Trek? I think, you know, we'll just have to wait till season two to kind of see where the writing takes us then on how they articulate what that future looks like and how our characters relate to it. Doesn't that sort of indicate, I mean, not to, I, I really don't want to answer the question, but doesn't that sort of indicate that it's not great Star Trek then? If you can get through a whole season and say, gee, I don't really know if this actually does what I want my Star Trek to do personally. Right. And that's me putting those words kind of in your mouth or, or summing up yeah. some of what you said. If you're able to get through 15 episodes, if you're able to get through a t- an entire season and say, hey, I've been watching Star Trek and I don't know if I've been watching Star Trek. Yeah. Then, well, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, you know, this was a really ambitious season. I mean, when, when you think about 
every other every other telling of Star Trek, the first season has basically just been trying to establish the characters and then build like the world. With this one, they they swung for the fences. I mean, they they were trying to go for a whole story arc of redemption for Burnham. They were trying to go for the Klingon War story arc. They were going for a story arc with uh, with Voke slash uh, Ash Tyler. I mean, there's just a heck of a lot going on. So I guess I cut the writers a little slack for maybe falling short a little bit on that world-building aspect of it. Um, because everything else, the character development, the acting, and the visuals, and the, the sound, and all that has just been absolutely top-notch. So, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, if, if, if at the end of it, I'm not convinced that, hey, this, this is the Star Trek that I want it to be, then yeah, got a good point. There, there's an interesting thing. Um, I could jokingly ask if you're a TOS fan. And I guess it wouldn't be a joke, actually, for people who are listening. Uh, we mentioned the, um, the 2001 poster uh, behind Dave. Uh, don't look now, Dave, but there's also a guy standing behind you. <laughs> You've got a gigantic uh, Spock cutout standing behind him as well. So obviously you are a TOS fan. I mean, here's what I'll say. TOS jumps straight in. The man trap does not tell us who Bones is, does not tell us who Spock is, does not tell us who uh, who Kirk is. Captain's log, we're down on this planet doing this thing because, you know, it's another week and that's what we do every week, Right. right. John and I have talked before about we don't actually get real character development from those characters until we get to the movies. And yet somehow we get to the movies somehow, you know, 15, 16 years later, there was still enough interest and, and, and love for, for, for the ideas that were presented that people were like, yeah, I'd pay, I'd pay $2 to go see this. Cause I think it was probably $2 to go to a movie at the time. But I mean, yes. I mean, they try to do something really ambitious. I, I applaud the fact that they did jump in the middle. Um, I was watching, uh, getting ready for Deep Space Nine, I watched the first two episodes of that the other day. And boy, do they spend a lot of time telling you who everybody is. A lot of time. Right. Um, which they don't necessarily have to do. But eh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 all of that said, what I'm always concerned about is that people are going to think that I'm hating on this show. And just like you, I enjoyed the show immensely. I think they can be two separate things. Was this a good show? Yes. Was it a fun show? Yes. Was it Star Trek? Ask me, ask you, ask John, ask Larry Nemechek. You're going to get at least two different answers, maybe four. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, they, they have that dramatic moment where they all stand up and say, no, we are Starfleet. This is what we believe in. We are Starfleet. Uh, yeah. And I felt that that was the writer's attempt at kind of bringing us back to that TOS, TNG ideal of Star Trek. Um, and maybe maybe they just spent too much time in the mirror universe and they spent too many episodes there. But had they kind of laid a little more of the groundwork um, for that moment leading up to that moment, we would have understood it a little better. Um, and that but and about the mirror universe, I actually really like their treatment of the mirror universe in this in this series. I just wish it had been a little, been a little shorter. Uh, I really liked how they used it as a way to explore that theme of or those ideas of. Um, hey, is somebody evil because they're innately evil or are they evil because they're in an evil environment? You know, and, and I thought that was a really cool, clever way of, of uh, exploring the whole mirror universe concept. Um, I just think it went on a bit too long. Had they cut that back by a couple of episodes and laid a little more of the groundwork of the character of the Admiral and some of the uh, some of the Starfleet higher up so that we could understand where they were really coming from in that moment of, hey, we're standing up to the man here with our Starfleet ideals might have 
might have resonated a little bit more. But for me, the way that it was written just kind of felt a little tacked on. Yeah, uh, Dave, this is something that we uh, we touched on, especially with the last episode. I don't know if you were watching or, or listening yeah. to the podcast from last week that I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed where we got through the season, but I felt like the mechanics, the, the actual plot points of getting us to that were a little clunky. But, you know, that's. It happens a lot in TV. It happens a lot in storytelling. It's not always going to fire perfectly. And and not specifically toward you, but I do want to address something that's going on here in the chat right now. This sort of, this idea that's out there that uh, the, the people working on the show don't know Star Trek. Um, and, and that, I think, is, uh, th- this is really problematic. And it, it's strange for me to read that. I'm glad that uh, people have pointed out, like Joe Minoski and uh, Kirsten Beyer. And of course, you know, Brian Fuller kind of laid the groundwork. Uh, but then with his ouster, the, there was a lot of change going on there as well. Um, there's partly the production reality of what's going on, which is, okay, what are the shows that we are competing with? Uh, Is it a Game of Thrones? Is it these sort of big universe building, multi-layered arcs and and multiple character arcs growing over time? Um, And then how do we work that into the, the, the plot and story elements that people know from other Star Trek already? And man, did they just put it all out there in the last episode with the references back to Enterprise and so much from TOS. They just kept piling it on. I started a list going, and I'm glad that one of our callers uh, actually did that work for me <laughs> because I was reading my list as he was going on with those uh, those same points. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, this is a place where we, we have to really say to ourselves, look, there may be stylistic things, there may be plot issues that we have, uh, but it's unfair to lump the writers and producers and say, well, they're terrible because they don't know what they're doing. I, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, and, it, you know, you, you don't just sort of stumble into a TV writer's room and then accidentally have a job one day working on a major <laughs> friend. I wish that were the case, you know. Um, but, but listen, man, I, I really appreciate it. We've got uh, We've got some other calls yeah, coming up and uh, and please join us again uh, as ken mentioned we'll be off next week and then we'll be back with more kind of topic driven mission log live and i uh, really hope that you chime in on those too okay great keep up the work keep up the great work you guys thank you so much dave yeah, thanks a lot thank you dave thanks hey um i hope phil can be patient for just a moment or two because we do, we, this is the time of the show where we do a little bit of business. Are you ready to do, is it business time, Mr. Champion? Dude, I am so ready. I, I got the business right here in my hand. All right, you yeah. hold that up and I'll talk about what we're talking about. Because we're okay. talking about Eagle Moss, of course, and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Uh, yes, the first season of Discovery is over. But you can just have as much fun as it sounds like John Champion is having right now with his <laughs> Discovery that. Starships. That is a Shenzo that he's holding right there. Uh, they want you to get your, you know, very own uh, starships of your own. Uh, they're actually going to start you with the Discovery. We started with the Shenzo, but you'll get, uh, actually, the, I think you'll start with the Shenzo as well. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just read what's on the page instead of guessing. Crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, check out all the different things that they have at their, uh, at their website, uh, eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. Uh, they have uh, Federation ships. They have Klingon ships. In fact, John, why don't you tell us about both of those? 
On the Federation side, you got ships like the Shenzhou and the Discovery. So you, you will get both. Can I mean it's like you don't have to pick and choose. You will get both. Um, yes. And you had the uh, Kerala, the Jaeger, the Europa. Uh, then coming in from Klingon space, you've got ships like the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey. You have the Kaw class destroyer. I know that week after week, people are waiting for me to say the Kaw class Klingon destroyer. Ew. So, yes, go to egomoss.com slash discovery starship. Uh, there you will see renderings that serve as the basis for the diecast models themselves. Painstakingly reproduced, as always, under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Uh, these are officially authorized by CBS. They're about 8 to 10 inches long, depending on the ship. They are hand-painted. They are rich in detail. And each one comes with a really cool magazine that tells you all about the ship's design, both in our universe and in the Star Trek universe. And, of course, each comes with a stand. Uh, suitable for sitting your ship upon. Hey, you asked about magazines. I have the magazine right here in my hand. There it is. It's beautiful. It's glossy. So subscribers will get their first ship, the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery, NCC-1031 will then ship monthly for the special subscribers price of only $44.95 each. That's about 20% off the standard retail price and also with free shipping. Now, if you want to pick and choose your ships, you can do that. For that, you go to a different shop. It is shop.eaglemoss.com, or you can check your local comic book shop as well. You're going to pay about 10 bucks more if you do that, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Uh, subscribers also get free gifts worth over 100 bucks during their subscription, and should you change your mind halfway through or even a day into it, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. To buy individually, go to shop.eaglemoss.com. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Speaking of this week's show, it is a call-in show, as it tends to be. If you would like to get your question or comment into us, there are a few ways to do that. Click on the Zoom meeting link for your PC or Mac. That's right above and below this video. You can also call us 646-558-8656 from your phone and type in the meeting code on the screen. You can also use the one tap from your smartphone to be connected that way. And, uh, and we would love it if you do as our friend Phil has done. Phil has joined us this evening. Hey, Phil, how's it going tonight? It is going wonderful. Can you hear me? Yeah, hey, yes. good to see you again, you, Phil. You, you handsome bearded devil. <laughs> so, you can call in anytime, Phil. You're I, just wanna, here. I, I have to say, I saw the show. I was born in 1957. I have seen. I saw the TOS when it first aired. It used to be on Saturday mornings. They didn't know when to show it with the cartoons. And, uh, you know, I got, took some things there. When I got older, I took some other things. And as it's grown up, even now, I still take some things uh, different. So I want to pitch that the, the Discovery is good Trek. Um, I rewatched um, the Vulcan Hello and uh, the last episode. Um, and I see that um, there's this link. She says, uh, Burnham says in the very end of there, she's saying, the, the, you know, when f- the voice of fear speaks fast and is loud, that's her voice to Giorgio in the, fir- in the first episode there. It's her fear she's reacting to. And because of that, 
or part of that, that was part of, of what happened that started this war. And now they didn't know what they were seeing. They saw a ship. They didn't understand it. And they sent the absolute wrong person to investigate it. Uh, and, um, and this is what happens. Every single character, a small character, has grown within the, the episodes. And um, I think the, uh, the, the ending is interesting because it's not really a peace with the Klingons. It's a ceasefire. The Klingons realize they have a monumental, a monumental deficit against anybody who wants to take over them. Everybody, you know, they, so they have to prepare, prepare and say, look, we've, they've gotten to us. <laughs> you know, somebody has gotten to us and we have to do that. And the, uh, and the, uh, the Ash Tyler character, he is going to try to get, try to, try to under, make the Klingons understand humans and vice versa. So I think it's good Trek. Is it perfect Trek? No, nothing ever is. But, uh, you know, like we said before, I think you've said before, TNG, the first couple of seasons, was, was kind of bland. And uh, this one was not bland. It may have been a little raunchy, <laughs> but it wasn't bland. Thank you for all your, all your work for putting this on, and I love it. Phil, I, I think there are people to this day who, uh, if you ask them uh, their feelings in 1987 and their feelings today, they'd still say, next generation, that's not Star Trek. Where's Kirk and where's Spock? I'm not going to watch this newfangled uh, Captain Picard, this Frenchman with a British accent. That's not Trek. I'll stick with the real Trek. So, yeah, look, no matter what, you make a change to anything that is a beloved franchise and people will go nuts. But look at us. We're here united as Star Trek fans talking about Star Trek. That's a pretty cool thing <laughs> that, you know, that there will be people who will want to pick it apart. There will be people who, who rightfully so have disagreements with how this show is presented and, and the way that they get to the messages they're trying to present. But what's cool and, and what I am proud of with Mission Log is that uh, what we try to do is spend a lot less time on the, uh, the stylistic mechanical stuff, but figure out at the end of the day, What's the show trying to say? What's at the heart of the episode? And with Discovery, a little bit stranger because, as Ken has pointed out before, as we've talked about before, the first season is essentially an episode. The first season is a chapter in a book. So we have to talk about the morals, meanings, messages, not just on a per episode, but a per season basis as well, which I think you uh, you addressed really nicely talking about fear and overcoming that being a, a through line that you saw there. So thanks very much. Thank you. Um, I think there was, I will say really quickly while we get our, while we get our next caller ready, I was surprised to find going back through the notes because we weren't sure exactly how uh, we were going to do tonight's show structurally. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating is that I did come across a few things that I had uh, that I had jotted down in episodes past that really are good Star Trek messages. Um, an oppressive regime is by nature a fearful regime. I believe that was Saru who said that. Uh, Terran strength is born out of necessity uh, because they live in constant fear. I want to say that was Burnham that said that. Uh, what we do now, um, the way we treat him, she's talking specifically about Ash Tyler at this point, but Tilly said, what we do now, the way we treat him, that's who we'll become. It is not a series, and, and I hope nobody thinks that I think this, it is not a series that's devoid of message. 
Um, there's actually uh, quite a bit sort of uh, woven in, I think. Um, my concern a couple of times was that it might get lost in all the explosions. But, sure. I mean, this is not this is not raunch for the sake of raunch. This is not violence for the sake of violence. Um, and maybe it's a finer point in debate of, okay, so did they say Star Trek loud enough? I mean, maybe that's a question that I should be asking myself. I mean, when they when they said the Federation stuff, when they said the Starfleet stuff, did they say it in a language that I was prepared to hear? Maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's the issue that I, uh, that that I and other people like me uh, may come across. Hey, I really love it that in the chat right now, Carlos Perez says it's awesome that we're having polite disagreements about things. That is one of the morals of Trek. It's okay to disagree politely. Um, can you, you can disagree one, without being disagreeable? Exactly. Yes. I, that that should be on a mission log T-shirt right there. Yeah. Well, yeah. call Carl. And really, I I do thank our audience for that, because every time I go into the Facebook page, every time I look at the comments on our website, every time I look at email, um, you you guys, thank you for being a uh, uh, an agreeable bunch when it comes down to disagreement or uh, or sharing in the debate. That is the conversation that we're having here. Uh, That is really cool. And that is all due to you guys. So thank you very much for that. Hey, uh, we have a a reminder here. We want to uh, ask people to like and share if you are uh, watching us live tonight. Hey, even if you're not watching us live, you're watching us later, go ahead and share it again. Just just get it out there. okay? (laughs) And um, yeah, and, and I believe that we've got some more calls standing by. Looks like we've got Matt ready to join us. Are you there, Matt? Hey, how you doing, guys? Excellent. Doing well. How are you? I have a question that might be related to your video caller from earlier. Um, I don't know if you want to call this retconning or headcanon, but does the manipulation that they they did to Ash Tyler explain the look of the TOS Klingons? Are they some kind of advanced force or infiltration unit? or, or That's just all we saw during that series. Well, you, you don't have to because they they did that on Enterprise. They they went through the whole thing with the, I don't know if you, I, I can't remember the episode names offhand, but you had uh, Brent Spiner coming back playing Noonien Sung. Um, and that had, to, he was a, a geneticist experimenting and you had a, a, a virulent uh, genetic disease that changed some Klingons. So that explained why they looked the way they did, and then presumably into the TOS years. Um, but it was interesting the look that Ash Tyler had, because you could definitely draw a parallel between him and the kinds of Klingons that we saw on, uh, on TOS. And somebody pointed out, I don't know if you guys saw, um, somebody had a screen grab from uh, the final episode, Will You Take My Hand, where you saw all the Klingons there in the volcano, uh, when Laurel is giving her speech, and they pointed out that one of the Klingons was wearing a very motion picture style Klingon uniform, that kind of gray pleather, you know, on the the black with the the gray armor. It was cool. It was really dark and really subtle, but 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 it was in there, you know. I don't. What, what do you think, Matt? Is that? Uh, well, I think it's all good. It's all head cannon as long as you're having fun on the ride. There you, there you go. There you go. I'm a little disappointed, Matt, that you're not wearing a head cannon tonight. Uh, so if you could pick oh, it up. Yeah, I should be. That could be a new band name, huh? Oh, I like that. I like that. Head cannon. Or it could, it could again be another shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, like a head cannon, and there you go. 
Love it. Uh, thanks again for all you guys do. Hey, thank you, Matt. Cheers. Have thank you very night. much, Matt. Uh, I want to remind people, by the way, after our show, there's another show that they should check out. I, mean, I know I'm asking a lot, but here's the thing. It's it's just full of Star Trek and entertainment goodness. Uh, the good folks over at Priority One, also a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, get together every Tuesday night and record their show live as well. Uh, Elijah, Kenna, Tony, and and sometimes special guests, people you don't even expect to show up, show up. They bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse, TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews. I believe that they are also doing a Discovery recap episode tonight. So uh, when we're done here, uh, grab yourself a cup of water or whatever beverage you enjoy, uh, some raisins or whatever snack you enjoy, and then uh, go over to facebook.com slash priority one podcast. That again is facebook.com slash priority one podcast. Check out their live show or if you just want to check it out some other time, uh, Priority One is the name of the show, available where fine podcasts are served. And now uh, we have Kim standing by. Kim, how's it going this evening? Oh, hey, it's going great. Hey, good to Excellent. see you again, Kim. What's uh, on your mind tonight? Uh, not much. Um, about your question tonight about whether or not uh, the series was good for me. It mm-hmm. was. So that being said, I've been with Star Trek from its get-go. If I might date myself, I was born about the same year that it premiered with the second pilot. Uh, my mom was watching it. Uh, so, and there, I was watching it. Grew up with it completely. That being said, I think with the changing in our times, and what is going on currently, right, with uh, everything around us. I think it was uh, it was good. And and for effects and the acting and everything else, you know, it was awesome. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if anybody else would disagree with that, about that. But, uh, you know, it was definitely entertaining. Well, Kim, I, I can tell you there are definitely people who agree with you. I just checked the poll again as we are, we're getting toward the end of our show and uh, still holding steady here. 83% says yes. Uh, was it good for you? Yes. 83% say yes. 17% say no. So uh, you're, you're definitely with the majority, at least out of our audience. You're, you're with the majority in that. Um, I, I do want to point out that uh, it's not a competition. <laughs> uh, no wagering here. Um but yeah, look, it, it seems like there's a, there's a good number of Star Trek fans, obviously borne out by the fact that uh, Discovery was renewed very early in its run for at least a season two. And we know that they start shooting that uh, here just within a just within a couple of months. I think they start in April or May. So um, we know that uh, we know that CBS is is behind it and uh, already working on it. And presumably they had already started to lay the groundwork for what is to come sometime while they were making season one. Now we've all got nearly a year to wait for that next season, but um, I'm excited that they get to plan out a whole season ahead of time, then work on that. So um, yeah, it's very, uh, very, very cool. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I did actually. And I, I appreciate you guys doing Mission Log Live and Mission Log, by the way. 
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Kim. Um, we're off next week, as John said, but we've got, oh, golly, just a slew of topics and other things coming up. And, uh, and feel free to give us a call back. Um, feel free to call, uh, give us a call back when we kick off again. Absolutely. Right. Cool. Hey, Ken, uh, we, we did have Meredith asking if we had a favorite episode from the season. Yes. Next okay. question. <laughs> You know, I, I hate to say it because it, it's sort of, uh, I feel like it's a little bit of a blow off, but it, to me, the most memorable was magic to make the sanest man go mad. See, I was going to say my two favorite episodes are that one. And then the one where Saru went nuts on the planet. Cause you know, I'm not going to start remembering names of episodes just because it's a new series, John. Seawees Packham. That was my. Sure. Uh, oh yes. The Latin one. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the, my two favorite episodes are the ones that you could pull out and drop into any season. Yeah, and I don't know if I don't know if that speaks to what I'm looking for again, or if it's just those were the two that spoke to me most. I mean, I think that was where we got. That was the first time that we got Saru being anything, but you know, I'm afraid something's going to eat me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we got him like like being a completely different person, and then yes, of course, I mean, um, magic to make the sanest man go mad. Is that what it was called? Yeah, I don't even know that those are the best, but they're memorable because they're sort of standalone. Um, yeah. And a lot of the other stuff, you, you remember great plot points, mm -hmm. but it, it's part of such a bigger narrative that you can't then say, oh, yeah, that episode is a favorite because of that. I, I said uh, at the time, one of my favorite plot points was just um, Lorca and Cornwell that morning after they were in bed together and her realization that something was wrong with him and him begging for his ship back. Like all of that was just wonderfully acted, wonderfully played. But um, is the episode a great episode? Uh, you know what? Who really cares about, <laughs> about that in terms of discovery, just because they were weaving such a big story. See the debate that I was watching actually in the, uh, in the Facebook chat room, was people asking, did you think that smiling Sarek was creepy? And all I'm going to say is, <laughs> wait till you see his kid do it. Man, uh, there is so much trouble. When you, see, when you see Spock start to smile, duck, and take cover. Somebody else said, uh, we random, have, random hope, can we get Jeff Goldblum in season two for no particular reason? <laughs> oh, man. Yuck. That would be great. Please. Oh. When they redo uh, the Gamesters of Triskelion for season two, because, you know, they'll go back and redo stuff, then yeah. he can be one of the Gamesters. It'll be totally <laughs> awesome. Hey, uh, we've got about five minutes left, but we do have a caller that we want to get in. Uh, Benjamin is here with us. He of the pinball kingdom. <laughs> Benjamin, you made it. Oh, hi, John. Hi, Ken. Oh, my God. My internet connection shows the minute I tried to log into your show to just completely crap out on me. Not cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not cool at all. No. I have more than five minutes of stuff to say, but I'm just going to get right to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt myself sitting back in my seat after the season break as I kept like they, I felt like they kept missing the target. Oh, good, good Trek reference. Good. Exactly what I didn't want them to do. And they didn't do any of the things I did want them to do. And I was, I had great hopes and expectations for Discovery. It's not a bad show. It's not that I didn't enjoy it, but the number one offender was Lorca. I thought we were going to get the Al swear engine of Star Trek with this. I thought we were going to get a guy whose moral compass may have been warped by the fog of war and a guy who was wrong some of the time, but right some of the time. And we all have to grapple with that tension. 
And instead we go to the mirror universe and we find it, oh, he was just a bad guy. Don't worry about it. And yeah. it really bothered me because a lot of fans were like, had their panties in a bunch that we'd had a, a captain that wasn't a paragon of virtue. And I thought that's a great thing for Star Trek fans to have to deal with. So that felt like so much unrealized potential in the writing for me. Um, I really sat back and just went, oh, oh, okay. Um, and, you know, by the end of it, we had spent some time in the mirror universe, not a fan of the mirror universe, because then it's just everybody's bad because they're bad. Uh, there's no real tension about moral reasoning or, or, or problem solving or having to really grapple with issues. And I thought, you know, I feel like we're living in the mirror universe now. The Trump administration is the mirror universe. We just, uh, we just got out of something that felt more like the world I want to live in with the Obama administration. And yet the Obama administration did not walk on water. During Barack Obama's time, we had failure to solve the problem in Syria or intervene in a way that really worked or that seemed to make the situation better. We had drone strikes, which is something which you can debate about. Well, is that removing people's culpability from, from the act of warfare? These are the kind of things I would like to see Star Trek grapple with. Um, and in the, in the modern era of television storytelling, Six Feet Under changed the way I think about life and death. Mm. Uh, Black Mirror makes me cringe before I tune in every week because I know I'm going to get it, but I also know that I'm going to be forced to grapple with something. And for Star Trek to go to the Mirror Universe, have the captain be a bad guy, and then at the very end in a little bow say, oh, by the way, kids, whatever else might have happened to you, genocide is wrong. I'm like, but I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> There was a there was actually a note that I had down um, and you you've hit it perfectly. Um, and I think it's one of the things that sort of makes me a tiny bit sad about the first season. And I'm hopeful that it won't be the case in the second season. Uh, everybody says that this is a Star Trek that's about today. And that's true. Um, when we asked whether Lorca was a good guy or bad guy, I will tell you, honestly, Rod thought it was a silly question because he thought everybody was going to assume that Lorca was a bad guy. And what we got was over half the people who were listening and watching and saying that he was a good guy. And that's because we want to trust our captain. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we currently live in a world where people distrust science and news and politicians and authority in general. And in a smaller way, um, they, they sort of said, oh, and you can't, you can't, can't trust us either. And that's kind of a drag. I mean, you're right. And in the end, it's all fine. But in the end, it's all fine because, as, as was mentioned by a caller earlier, because, because a single individual stood alone as opposed to we can actually all be fine. I yeah, think. I'm really tired of Starfleet not being trustworthy and always being counted on to do the wrong thing when, when things get up. It's starting right. to become the scope of Star Trek. And, you know, even to the point where you know, in your recap of uh, Insurrection, you were talking about how in that movie, Picard has sort of outgrown Starfleet in the way that in Star Trek Three, Kirk had started to outgrown, outgrow Starfleet. And I, <laughs> I found myself thinking, am I outgrowing Star Trek? Is this, this what we're going to get from Star Trek from now on? Is this kind of very heavy-handed, like, here your, here's your morality handed to you on a plate? Because if that's what they're going to do, it's, there's not that much in it for me. And I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to outgrow Star Trek. I want it to challenge me. And I want to feel nourished by it on, some, on, a, on a philosophical level. And I just wasn't getting that out of Discovery this time around. I will tune in next season. I will hope that it will be something that I like better. 
but I felt like they really were just sort of missing the opportunities to go deep on this in this season. Benjamin, I, I love this conversation. I know that we're going to have you back when we switch over to our topical show here in a couple of weeks. And I know we're going to have you back for season two and, and we'll see you online like we do. Uh, but now, now is the time that we have to say goodbye and follow that by saying that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry podcast network including not just mission log but also women of warp and priority one and the trek files we would again like to thank eagle moss and the official star trek starships collection for sponsoring the show eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships podcast.roddenberry.com the roddenberry podcast network